Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. Today, I'm here with Daniel M. Hello, hello. And a guest that was referenced by more than one guest, referred, not referenced. I guess they referenced and referred. Referencing is kind of like an academic. Yes. He was footnoted? No. He was, uh, he was like, there was, an, there was an exclamation mark after his reference That's by true. both Caleb Kaltenbach. I'm glad you said his name. <laughs> I think you. so. Yeah. <laughs> Kaltenbach. <laughs> Kaltenbach. And, um, and uh, Lominick. Yeah, Brad Lominick. But we had him on anyway because Caleb recommended him. Yes. Oh, not because of Brad. No, yeah. definitely not. No, no, no. <laughs> well, Rusty is the pastor, uh, pastor out in a... A nicer part of the country than we are. He's in Southern California. He's the lead pastor of Real Life Church, a multi-site church there with campuses in uh, Canyon County, Valencia, and 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 beyond there. And, and it's cool to just talk to him and, and hear about how his church has just rapidly grown over the last uh, several years. And he recently has a book come out as well, Justice, Mercy, and Humility, that we'll get to a little bit later. So thanks. Uh, thanks, Rusty, for being on. Well, thanks for having me. It's an honor. Perfect. Well, why don't we get started with well, the I first? Just, my first question is, <laughs> okay, how is Valencia not in Orange County? Boy, that is a great question. You know, I'm not originally from here. I'm from the Midwest. Okay. So I've wondered that ever since I got out here. So no one's been able to give me an answer. Mm. Well, I guess it will have to remain a mystery. I don't I mean, Valencia sounds like a type of orange to me. It so. is. Oh, is it really? Yes. Wow. It is pure Valencia. Right. Okay, I can't remember which uh, orange juice their their slogan was. Pure Valencia, I think. Okay, all right, all right, all right. We'll get into our first question. Who are you currently learning from? Wow, there's there's so many. I I love hanging out with pastors and especially those that are um, a little further along than I am, and just picking their brain about what it is they've discovered. I love asking what they've you know, learn the hard way, mistakes they've made. But the guy I keep coming back to is a guy that is often affectionately referred to as Yoda because he's so brilliant. And that is Larry Osborne. Mm. Larry is uh, just a bit south of us uh, down in near San Diego. And I met him at a leadership network gathering probably 10 years ago. And he's been so kind as to uh, allow me to stay in touch with him. And First of all, he's just great uh, for pastors. He, he does not, uh, he doesn't big time you at all. Uh, he always is willing to help, uh, but his wisdom is just amazing. And he's always dropping these little truth nuggets on you that I, you just get worn out writing stuff down. And then on top of that, he's a great author. Uh, his books are fantastic uh, that he writes for, for churches. He writes for leadership. And uh, some of his uh, works have just been really, really helpful for me, especially his latest book, Lead Like a Shepherd. Um, I think we're sensing this change in the church right now from a CEO model back to more of a shepherd model. And uh, Larry's uh, on the cutting edge of that. He, he's been great. Uh, there's um, a couple of books I've been uh, reading from lately that I just, I keep rereading. Mm -hmm. uh, one is um, Life Without Lack by Dallas Willard. And it was put together uh, after he died as a kind of a series of talks he did in a church, basically in a Sunday school class, I believe. 
And it's just walking through Psalm 23. And as typical Dallas Willard stuff, it's not an easy read or a quick read, but it's rich. And I just keep going back and reading that over and over again. Um, What was the name of that that, title? I'm sorry. What was the name of that book again? Yeah, it's called Life Without Lack. Okay. Okay. Uh, And it's relatively recent, I believe, uh, that they, they got it out. It's great. And, you know, you can't talk about Dallas Willard without talking about John Ortberg and mm. uh, his book, Soul Keeping. I, that's one I read every year. Uh, it's so great, especially for pastors, just kind of digging into the soul issues of life and what is that and, um, you know, how do we break that down? And yeah, he's a little further north than I am. So we brought him out and just had him teach on that one time. And it was just so, so great. So, I guess I'm learning from those guys all the time, but specifically recently. So, okay. There's a theme that I'm hearing, uh, as you, as you've been sharing, I mean, you first started talking about Larry Osborne and Larry's amazing. We've had him on the podcast and, you know, interacted with him several times. And I mean, that guy's, you're right. He really is the real deal. And and it's so cool to see, uh, the level of leadership and the way that he's just really becoming a hero maker in that way. So, you know, but you were talking about him and, and this idea of lead like a shepherd, right? His book, that theme. And and Larry, I mean, is one of the pioneers of multi-site. I mean, their church is um, very influential, has a large impact. And, and you know, you were talking about John Orberg as well and Dallas Willard, who are very, you know, getting at the soul level. And Rusty, for you, I mean, I mean, your church is several thousand people as well. What is it about those people or what is it really even about your where you're at right now that is causing you to look more to those deeper matters than the latest Harvest Business, Harvard Business Review book? I think all of us, when we get into ministry, and especially over the last 20 years, we consumed all the Harvard Business Review books. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I mean, I've taken great knowledge from Jim Collins and Jack Welch and some of those pioneers in business. Um, But at the end of the day, it really is about shepherding people. Um, And I think where we missed it was we assumed once our church got over a certain size, we can no longer shepherd everybody. So then we decided we'll shepherd nobody. Hmm. And we shifted into the CEO mindset. I know I did of just trying to build the organization. And there's something to be said for that. You need systems, you need processes, you need metrics and checks and balances. But I think what I'm learning, and maybe this is just getting older, is I have a congregation, it's my staff, and I have to shepherd them well who shepherd their leaders well, who shepherd shepherd so many more people. So, and that might seem like, well, you know, duh, you should have known that a long time ago. But I think for a lot of us that are kind of type A personalities or might be driven by some kind of wound from the past or might have some kind of internal voice telling us, you need to do more, you're not enough. Um, we chase after building our own kingdom at the mm-hmm. expense of the kingdom. And I know I did that. And I think what, what these two books that I've referenced have done for me is brought me back to what really matters most and how I can possibly shepherd other people uh, in a way that allows them to shepherd other people as well. That's good. That's good. So, so you would say that's being built on it's, it's a part of your leadership skills and repertoire in addition to what you've learned through uh, more business type of books. Yeah, I'd say so. And I I think, um, especially with uh, 
those of us who are Gen Xers trying to lead millennials, uh, we, we read all the things about millennials and we think, yeah, they said that about us. Uh, but the, the, the biggest difference is, is they really, they really want that relationship. They really want to be cared for and know that you're building into them for something better. And I think starting and ending meetings with more of the personal side of things, the shepherding side of things, how are you doing really? Uh, those kind of things go a, a lot further than they probably did when I was being led years mm -hmm. ago. That is true, because if, if you think about it, <clears throat> those of us who are Xers, I'm sitting across from a millennial. Yes. Yes, you um, are. <laughs> but you're on the cusp. It's all right. Yeah. We get along. It's the Oregon Trail generation. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. So um, I do remember, you know, the, hey, they said a lot of the same stuff about us. Right. Um, and, and similarly, you know, authenticity was, it's been the thing for, it seems like the last two generations. So it is, I, I do think that um, there is something to be said that was super insightful on, yeah, but they, I think Xers may have said it, um, but it wasn't as important or it may have been important, but it wasn't as important as it is mm. millennials. Like Xers noticed it. Yeah, we mm. noticed it. We would call it, we, we would mm. call it out. Um, but they actually want it. They want to engage more. Yeah, there is something to that. I think Xers, um, we had a high, how shall I say this? A BS meter. Yeah. Uh, we, we didn't, we didn't put up with anything. We were kind of against the machine. Uh, you know, you think Nirvana, you think Pearl Jam, you know, kind of against the man. We didn't really, we, we just wanted you to be real, but we didn't really care. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and now the millennials come around, they want you to be authentic and they really do care. They, they really uh, value your opinion. And uh, what, what's the saying about millennials and no offense, Daniel, they have, uh, um, high arrogance and low self-esteem. I don't know how that's, I can not take offense to that. That's well, brilliant. You're, you're on the cusp, so yeah. we'll take you in with the Xers. <laughs> okay. High arrogance and low self-esteem. Okay. Let's, go, let's, let's close let's it. Move, no, let's that's, move beyond that. That's, okay. That's very wise. You okay. don't want to drill down on that? No. Okay. So let, let me ask you a question about all this. This is this is fascinating. And, and then we'll eventually get to the rest of the questions, <laughs> hopefully. Um, okay. So... You said, Rusty, high BS meter, right? And when you look, let's talk about, and we've been talking about church team dynamics and a lot of that, but let's talk about weekend services, mm. right? When it comes to weekend services and you see this, I mean, it's huge in the franchise world. And I like to use Starbucks example, right? Starbucks used to be the indie coffee shop. And, and, and the reason Starbucks got so popular as well as other chains is because all the indie coffee shops sucked. It's like coffee was inconsistent. So then, you know, there's the rise of the franchises, even with McDonald's, right? I mean, all of these franchises. And now it's come to the point where it's like, oh, I don't want franchises. I want indie things again. Mm -hmm. Right. So you see that shift going on and you even see, you know, a lot of mega churches even, you know, regardless of the denomination they're a part of, a lot of megachurches, the the weekend services, they look and feel the same. Mm -hmm. it's, <laughs> it's a pendulum. It's a yeah. pendulum on shepherd and steward. So we talk about this on the podcast all the time. 
that, you know, if you look at the role of the church leader in the Bible, you have the example of the shepherd and steward. And I think we're always going to have that pendulum swing, mm-hmm. at least in church practice, um, because I do see a shepherd, you know, coming back around. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a response, a direct response to the church growth movement. Okay, so how does that, how does this all, and Rusty, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. How does everything that we've just been talking about, and even the shift more toward the shepherd, how does that affect then your weekend services that usually in bigger churches are timed down, you know, very well programmed, such and such and such? How do you move toward authenticity? How are you doing that in your weekend services? Wow, that that is the million dollar question for churches right now. Mm. As we as we reach the end of the attractional method, yeah. as we reach the end of big box, um, that, you know, most of the pastors that I know that have multi-site will tell you their main campus, and that's not the phrase you want to say, but the originating campus is not growing. It's only the campuses that are growing. Hmm. Why is that? Well, it's because they, they're, they're usually smaller. They have more of a unique feel. And there's an opportunity for more authenticity. So we've been trying to figure out how do we do this better, even on our original campus of creating moments of authenticity. And I think a lot of it has to do with mixing up the order of service, getting out of the routine, um, talking more about our failures and weaknesses rather than our strengths, uh, walking through biblical passages. And instead of being the smartest guy in the room, uh, talk about how we're all learning on these things. Uh, worship has a large part of this. How do we create experiences that are not downloadable, are not just plug and play, or we could watch that online and not have to be in the room? I think those are all questions we're trying to figure out and wrestle with. And I think this is why the the campus model, or certainly the church planning model, is uh, going to see tremendous growth because those create unique environments and they oftentimes are, are smaller. Well, the other thing, too, is, you know, the idea of a lot of the churches that launched out campuses were regional draws. They were regional churches. Right. And when you have those smaller uh, venues, I think part of the reason why they're stickier is people don't want to commute to community. So if right. they actually do engage in community, then— you know, what they want to be where they live, work, and play. So I think I think campuses are naturally stickier because I'm not, you know, commuting out of my community to, to try to find community. So true. I completely agree with that. It's interesting, and you use the word pendulum. I mean, it does keep swinging back and forth. It's not really a progression um, because, you know, you think about there was a day, and back in the 90s, certainly, the newest thing was small groups. Get them out of the Sunday school classes, get them into the homes. Well, we're, what we're seeing now is when we launch a group on campus, it's much bigger than those that we start in homes because people are a little bit leery about going to somebody's house. Uh, but if they can show up at the campus that they've already navigated, they're a little bit more likely to stick there. Am I saying Sunday school's coming back? Not necessarily. Um, and I'm not saying we need to start building children's education buildings again. <laughs> But there is something to say about, you know, a familiar space, that third place kind of mentality that Starbucks was trying to achieve and has uh, where, okay, I've got work, I've got home, but then I've got church and that's where I do these kind of activities. 
Right. That's good. That's good. All right. So let's get back on track. I think that was a okay. good tangent, though. That was a very good tangent. <laughs> the tangents are the best. They are. They are. Okay. So, Rusty, what's the main point of emphasis for your for yourself? I guess we've kind of already talked about that side. So let's talk about the team side. As you lead yep. your team, what's the main point of emphasis right now? Well, at the time we're recording this, our <clears throat> our church is going through a very difficult time because we had a pastor two weeks ago um, die by suicide. And we knew that he had a history of mental health issues. He was on medication for depression and he had talked openly about that on stage. Um, he was our, our campus pastor of our, of our, uh, main campus, the Valencia campus. And we just began to see him trending and spiraling downward. And we, tried to help out. Hmm. And we thought we had, you know, and, and we never thought it would come to this. Never. Wow. Um, but he went through a series of, uh, you know, poor decisions and uh, a great deal of shame and guilt and, and then just decided to end his life. And it's been devastating for us, but like all tragedies that happen to churches, it's a time where you really rally together. Our mm. staff has been rallying together and it's been an amazing opportunity for us and our community to shine a big floodlight on the issues with mental health that our communities are facing. Mm. Um, you know, I think we're all stunned to hear the stats that while worldwide suicide is going down, America is going up. And particularly for men between the ages of 40 and 55, Hmm. They reach the stage of my life isn't what I thought it was. If they're in that age group, they probably grew up with some kind of an addiction or maybe abuse in their background. Um, they oftentimes have some kind of you know demons they're trying to hide. And 90% of these uh, individuals have some kind of mental health issue that they're maybe medicating. And what we're learning is our individual was prone to go on and off as medication, which you don't make great decisions when you go cold turkey off of your medication. Mm. And so it's, it's allowed us to speak into that. And I think that we've really been able to help a lot of people. And we're, we're moving out of the, you know, the original question you asked was, what's the emphasis for your leadership team? Originally, it was crisis, and then it turned into care. And now it's turning into community. And mm. how can we really reach out to our community and help people who are wrestling with this because the, the flood of emails we have gotten from people and face-to-face conversations of, I had no idea pastors struggled with this. Um, I struggle with this. I had a friend take their life on and on and on allows us to really shepherd. There's our word again, our people. Well, especially those in our community that didn't know the church even cared. Wow. So, so at the time of this recording, two weeks ago? Two weeks ago, that's right. So how, what, walk us through, I mean, how, how how did you respond as a church once you heard well, that news? Did that change what you preached on? How did you announce it? I mean, and how, how has it moved from, you know, crisis to now ministering to the community? I'm so glad you asked that question because I think if there's anything I can do for pastors, it's just tell them what we learned. Yeah. And everything in you as a pastor, when a crisis happens like this says, tell no one Hmm. just, you know what? It's about the mission. We're moving on. Hmm. 
Mm. And hopefully nobody will ask, nobody will notice, and we'll just act like it never happened. We'll take care of his wife. We'll take care of people that on staff, but we're not going to make a big deal out of it, especially at a large church where, you know, you've been planning a series for months and, and people are coming that didn't even know this individual and, and the like. But in light of the situation with his influence, we just decided we're going to get ahead of this and we're going to actually help people through this. And so this happened on a Wednesday. Obviously, you know, when the police are called out, the local paper picks up on it and starts posting things on their website. We have a Thursday night service. It's our first service of the weekend. And so we do one Thursday and then we do four on Sunday. And we just decided we're going to get ahead of this. And so we contacted the local paper and we said, we know that, you know, there was an incident. We're going to give you all the details. We're just asking if you would hold off on sharing them until after seven o'clock on Thursday night. At least we can communicate to our people, some of our congregation by then. And they said, that's fine. The other thing that I did was I sent an email to all of the local pastors in our community and just told them what was going on. Because as much as we like to talk about the capital C church and it doesn't really matter uh, which church, you know, there's people out there that love to share the bad news about a church. Hmm. So we just thought, let's get ahead of this. And so we can, you know, manage whatever gossip there might be out there. And the true facts are, are, are listed. And we, we got the information out there. We shared, well, let me back up. On Thursday night, we were concluding a series, a, a four-part marriage series. And, the, you know, the buzz had been really good about the series. And I knew people were coming to hear that fourth installment of the series. So I didn't want to cheat them out of that. And so I got up and I taught the message as was planned. And so we recorded it and then we were able to put it online for those who wanted to see it later. And then I spent 10 minutes at the end of the service explaining what had happened. Obviously there was great shock, you know, to everything. We had counselors and our prayer team and pastors down front to meet with people. And then I said on Sunday, we're going to talk about this in greater detail. And I'm just going to teach on this whole thing. So Sunday came around. Now the word is out. We posted on our Facebook site. Um, the, the local paper had talked about it. And now Sunday comes around. And I just spent my entire message talking about it. Um, that was a that was probably the most difficult message I've ever done. Obviously it's like doing a funeral four times in a row. It's, yeah. it's weighty, it's heavy, it's, it's sad, but it was such a great opportunity for me to shepherd our people and to, to just tell them this is really difficult, but we're going to get through this. And I was able to talk about the questions that we have. And then I was able to talk about for those of you that might be considering this, and then we provided a lot of resources for people. Hmm. We had our pastors and counselors available down front. And then we opened up our building on Monday night and Wednesday night uh, for anybody who wanted to come out, you know, for a couple hours and just pray with somebody or talk with somebody. And as a result, um, people have been so, so generous with their gratefulness for that, but also in referring people. And we've been able to give a lot of help to people. The local radio station asked us to come in and talk about it. It's created a platform for us that we could really help more people so they don't make this decision. And if there's lives that are saved out of this, I think that's, um, that's a great thing. 
That's really good. Thanks for sharing that. Well, I don't know how to transition off of that. Um, you know, because uh, the third question we usually ask is, what do you have to do every day um, to prepare to lead? So actually, I do think that's, it actually is a decent question because you never know when something like this is going to happen. It, it just happens. I think I think it's a great question because it's beneficial not only before a crisis like this, this happens, it's after the crisis that these kind of practices or disciplines become even more important. Uh, you know, you always tell somebody who goes through grief, make sure you eat, make sure you sleep because you, you tend to not do that. Hmm. And I think there's some there's just some personal disciplines that pastors have to have and leaders have to have in order just to make it through the difficult seasons. For me, I've changed things up a little bit uh, because I was in a rut and I was doing the YouVersion Bible app and I was reading through the Bible, you know, through in a year and doing that every year. And even though that's great, after a while, you're just kind of checking off boxes. So I decided this year I wasn't going to do that. I was going to memorize one section of scripture every week. And so 52 passages in the course of a year. And I would spend some time just meditating on that. I've done a lot of research and reading about meditation and, and just the, the benefits of that, uh, just with the, the neuroscience is unbelievable, but just the spiritual side of things and your connection with Jesus. And I started doing that at the first of the year and it has paid off tremendously through this crisis because I keep coming back to some of those verses. And I think about some of those verses I picked out, I had no idea, obviously, this tragedy was coming, but they're exactly what I needed to hear. And mm. I'm so glad I've stored them away mm. in my brain, you know, to, to kind of draw off of. The other thing that I think is really difficult in a crisis is you tend to live in it 24-7. The only, the only season or moment of your day that's peaceful is right when you wake up because you don't remember. And about 30 seconds later, you remember. Yeah. So... What I've discovered is having a clear finish line. And so when the day is over, I go home and I don't look at email. I even turn off the notification on the email because if I see a, you know, the little red two or seven or 50 or whatever, I think oh, I got to deal with that. Um, I turn that off. Uh, we, you know, have family time and then, you know, we'll watch sports or TV or whatever. But when I pick up a book, I do not pick up a leadership book or a, even a book on spirituality or anything that has to do with my job. I just read mindless reading about sports or mm. coaches or whatever. And, and it's, it's so relaxing because it has nothing to do with my job so that I'm prepared the next day to actually go and do it. Hmm. Hmm. So do you find that that's, that's helped I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously you're sharing it because it's helped. So, so I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to get at how, how do you, how has that helped you be a better leader and, and simultaneously a better, uh, a better father and a husband? Well, obviously my, my family loves it because I'm not at home on the phone or on email or trying to manage a crisis. Um, I'm a little bit more engaged uh, because I'm disengaged from work. And I think the thing that we're, we're figuring out about the way our brain works is if you work all the time, there's this law of diminishing returns. It just isn't as good. And there's that moment of, of rest that you need. So my work is better than I'm just more engaged. And I, I think that when you have a clear deadline, there's automatic pressure to get stuff done mm -hmm. because you know you can't work on it after five or after 4.30 or whenever you go home. 
the other thing that's helped me is obviously the, the memorization and meditation. That's the thing you can do during the day as well. So it doesn't have to just be in the morning, but I carry that throughout the day and have little rest stops along the way that just makes me a, a calmer leader. I lead less out of my anxiety and I lead more out of the overflow of my time with God. Uh, and it comes back to letting myself be, you know, uh, taken care of by him as he shepherds me so I can shepherd others. That's good. So talk to us a little bit more about leadership in your home, what that looks like. Yeah, we're in an interesting stage now because my daughters are both teenagers. Uh, and just so you, you didn't miss that, yeah, two, girls, your heart. <laughs> two girls who are teenagers. So, wow. Um, the, the random crying is just fascinating to me. Uh, I Did you grow up with sisters? <laughs> So do you, do you have any, do you, do you have any siblings yourself? I do have a, I have a younger sister. Um, she's uh, four years younger than me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so in our home right now, it's more of a, it's more collaborative. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, they talk about the four stages of parenting and I think we're in that coaching stage. So we, we make a lot of decisions as a committee. So we'll talk a lot about the calendar and what's coming up and, I learned this question from somebody years ago, and I, it really works well now. And that is to ask everybody in your family on a Friday, what's a good Saturday look like for you? Because it's amazing how we all have different agendas and we think that we're all on the same page and we're not. And then being able to kind of strategize around, all right, how can we pull that off so that we're all rested and have a great day and enjoy each other? You know, kind of having that. a staff meeting on a, on a Sunday night talking about, well, what are, what's this next week look like? And and who's going to be gone? Who's got games? And who's going to be where? When can we make sure we have family time? Uh, we try to do um, family devotions at night. And I know that sounds super spiritual. It's not. Uh, it's, it's 10 minutes where you have to read something about Jesus. And then we pray. Hmm. So it's a lot of it reading on your own. But it's that built-in 10 minutes that allows us to kind of decompress. Um, and so I think in this season right now, our girls get an equal say. They don't always get their way, but they at least get to weigh in. That's good. Well, how about our last question, Todd? So uh, our last question is, what would you tell your 20-year-old self about preparing to lead? I would say don't take yourself so seriously. Hmm. I In my 20s, I was just... I wasn't even a lead pastor. I was an associate at a church that I was just constantly stressed about what if this didn't work and what if people don't show up? And I didn't even have to worry about the offering at that time, you know, right. somebody else was doing that. And I think I look back now and I think, what was I doing? I mean, nobody cared. Um, and, and I heard it. I heard a guy say this to me, another pastor. He said, I think most of us when we walk out on stage, we're wondering, do they like me? And he said, when actually the audience is wondering, does he like me? And I think shifting that mentality huh. to I'm here to serve, I'm here to love you. I'm going to take things serious, but not personal. Mm. At the end of the day, my relationship with my family and my relationship with Jesus is the most important thing. Um, I, and another thing I, I think about often, and I wish I'd learned this in my 20s. I think all of us are compared to other pastors and especially now with the access to listening to other pastors online, um, it becomes really easy for your congregation to, to want to compare you or want to complain. All of us have heard the phrase before, I want something deeper, or why can't you teach more like so-and-so or mm -hmm. whatever. 
And so I think for my 20s, because I was in a part of the country where uh, Louis Giglio's college ministry was amazing. And I was trying to do college ministry and everybody's telling me, you got to be more like Louis Giglio. And so, <laughs> I mean, who can do that, yeah. you know? So I was constantly trying to be smarter and, and be deeper. And I heard Pastor Jed Wilhite say one time, you know, people aren't on a truth quest. They're on a hope quest. Wow. And I just thought, that's brilliant. Hmm. I wish somebody had told me that when I was 25, you know, people are looking for hope. And certainly now as I've walked through those last couple of weeks and I'm just hearing people's stories of dealing with depression and mental illness and thoughts of suicide. And I just think, man, people are looking for hope and we have it. So why am I constantly stressed about how smart people think I am or deep people think I am or what this Greek word means when really they just need hope? Hmm. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. Rusty, your book, uh, Justice, Mercy, and Humility, really, I mean, it's written out of Micah 6.8. Uh, talk to us a little bit, a little bit of, about your book and, and how that might provide hope for our listeners and, and those that they're serving. You know, it's interesting that it comes out during this season uh, because I wrote it, you know, about a year ago. And I wrote it in response to a question we'd art or a little tangent we went on just a few moments ago about just what a church looks like now. And I think about leading a church, whether it's an attractional model, whether it's a missional model, or you know, just authenticity or whatever, it really does come back to how well do you do justice and love mercy and walk humbly. Hmm. That's that's it. And a pastor friend of mine named Mike Bro said years ago. You know, following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. And it really does come back to this phrase of, you know, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And if all of our churches can do that, if all of our Christians can do that, if we would do that on social media, oh my goodness, the way we would change the way people think about us. Yeah. And then just personally speaking, we make it so complicated when really it's it's pretty simple. If If we stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves— if we are passionate about mercy towards other people and even ourselves, and if we decide to really do this in a humble way, not sacrificing confidence, but just being humble and letting other people go first and being content more to be the guide rather than the hero of the story, well, it's amazing what God can do in our lives. That's so good. Rusty, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for pouring uh, pouring your heart and your energy into the book, into uh, the ministry that God has entrusted you with. And, and in these past two weeks through uh, dealing with um, one of the pastors on your team with his suicide and, and not only ministering to, to his family, but also to the community. Thanks for serving the church in this way. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time. Well, thanks again for listening into the Five Leadership Questions podcast. We, uh, our, our hope is to bring you great interviews with interesting guests that sometimes you may not have heard of. Um, and, and for us, there's a lot of this interview. We, we go into each one just looking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Five Questions completely. is just a framework. It, and it so is. It's always great when something like that happens where, you know, we didn't, plan for that. And he apologized at the end for kind of dropping that on us. And we were like, no, this was something, this was a real issue that you had to deal with in a timely manner in your church. And so some of our listeners will have gone through something similar or will go through something similar. And so I, I think it's, it's 
going to be just the right time for somebody to hear that. Yeah. And, and maybe there's someone that you can share this episode with as well. That's really easy to do on your podcasting app. Just hit the share button and you can grab that URL and text it to them or email it to them. Cause I know there's probably uh, maybe at least one other person that's come to mind in light of what Rusty talked about. Well, as a part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network, we also have the Ask Me Anything podcast with J.D. Greer and Todd Unzicker. So if you haven't tuned in recently, they've, um, they've talked about how to respond to police shooting. Is white privilege real? And should we stop saying the Bible says so? So they cover tons of great questions, questions and answers. So just look up Ask Me Anything on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today.